Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So Georgia gets another commit for its 2022 class. This was a guy that had eyes on him for a while. Jordan James running back out of the state of uh, Tennessee. He had put out on Twitter a, you know, a couple of weeks ago or so that he was ready to make his commit. There had been some online chatter that that commitment might come to Georgia. And then lo and behold, yesterday afternoon, he does kind of drop this out of the sky, committing to Georgia. In fact, let me show you here on social media how James himself made that official. Really good-looking uh, edit there with his Oakland High School uniform on you see harry dog you see uga and you see a very nice committed graphic down there for james coming to uga admittedly this is not a player that we have talked about as much in this 2022 cycle on this show as maybe we've talked about with some other prospects so it was kind of fair for many folks to ask well you know what is georgia getting in jordan james here you know james overall ranking maybe not as high as a lot of the other players that we do talk about including the last two commits that have come in just the last week's time for UGA so a lot of folks were saying hey you know what does this mean for Georgia what are you getting in James despite the fact that James put up gigantic numbers in his most recent season there at Oakland and obviously Del McGee scouts eye for these kinds of running backs has proven to be pretty spectacular there was still some curiosity about overall exactly what this means for Georgia to be able to go into Tennessee and get a running back like Jordan James so let me see if I can kind of sum this up this way because for those of you who are just now kind of getting acquainted with James wondering what all the fuss is about how he fits into the plans for Georgia obviously we have talked about other running backs here if you want to care about why James matters for UGA and if you're just getting plugged in on this story and you kind of want to talk about you know why this is good for Georgia maybe the most prominent reason of all is how mad it is making some of the fans of one of your rivals here of this program Georgia's obviously got a lot of rivals Tennessee is clearly one and there's some upset folks around Vol fandom these days related to the fact that Georgia swoops into the uh, Murfreesboro Arrow and comes Arian comes out with uh, Jordan James here. In fact, let me just read you one of these tweets. There's a bunch of this social media activity. We're kind of turning over a new leaf here on this show. We're not going to dox opposing fans on the show where we can help it. So I'm not going to show you any of these, but I want to re- just read you one in particular that kind of sums up the feeling of Vols fans related to uh, Jordan James' commitment to uh, Georgia. It says that he's a, a shifty runner. It'll be fun to watch in Athens, but the uh, Tennessee fan here says, this is yet another whiff for Josh Heupel on 2022 in state product so this is really the center of this for tennessee fans message board social media everything else Josh Heupel apparently made big promises about what Tennessee was going to do in state recruiting and here Georgia swoops in takes a prospect Tennessee fans have been used to this now for a number of years of not only having a hard time keeping pace with the very best of SEC recruiting all the way around but in particular just keeping their own players in state the high profile misses for Tennessee uh you know pretty prominent and by the way for like the North Georgia area where you know a lot of folks may have be you know grew up Tennessee fans they've had a hard time recruiting those 
guys as well. And under Josh Heupel, Heupel had kind of gone around the state saying, it's going to be different. We're going to stop me if you've heard this before. Uh, Heupel saying, we're going to build a fence around our border and we're going to keep the best uh, products in our state in the state of Tennessee. We're not going to let them escape out. We're going to uh, build a border. If you don't believe me on this, or if you just want to know why Tennessee fans are disappointed, many of them anyway, to see Jordan James now a part of UGA's 2022 class. Let's go back and listen to one of the promises that Josh Heupel made when he was first hired by the Vols. Take a listen to this. It's pouring time and energy into the specific players that are inside of this state. I think it's really important that you develop relationships. You know, that's families uh, first and foremost, but it's developing high school relationships, uh, relationships with high school coaches. If you can do that, they're going to trust you and they're going to respect you. And then you got an opportunity to go recruit the biggest and best here inside the state of Tennessee. Yeah, and that's kind of the collective reaction to all Vols fans here today. Of better luck next time when it comes to going after one of the players you really target there. But to be serious about this just for a moment, though. You know, Oakland is one of the uh, – there you go. Good to see Jordan James kind of launching in on this, by the way, saying feels good to be a dog uh, on the heels of what you just heard from – uh, Josh Heupel there. Even more painful for many Tennessee fans to see Jordan James saying feels good to be a dog, but uh, fun stuff all the way around there on that. And to be serious here for a moment, you know, Tennessee is not necessarily, this is not a shot. This is just an objective evaluation. The state of Tennessee is not necessarily known as a hotbed for high school football recruiting. There are not uh, a million prospects in that state every year. This year may be a year where it's a little deeper than normal, but in almost any year, though, in which there are elite prospects, and there are always a few, James High School there at Oakland is one of the one of the high schools there, along with like say Blackman, Maryville, maybe that kind of produce big players each and every year. So while Tennessee is trying to figure out what you know uh, sh- you know shoes to put on which feet here, trying to reboot the entire program in the Josh Heupel era, the era here, there is a chance to make inroads in that state to get the very best in that state. And Jordan James could be a step forward on that because his high school there at Oakland, they're always going to have players, and you know this part of the state is the kind of part of the state that does kind of produce these players from time to time so this is in addition to getting a good running back in jordan james maybe a chance for georgia to plant a little bit of a flag in tennessee just related to the reboot going on there with the vols and josh heupel and obviously the takeaway from heupel's part of all of this is listen you can talk a big game about what you're gonna do from a recruiting standpoint but it's all easier said than done catching up to the rest of the sec not just georgia but the rest of these programs who are obviously trying to be well established in terms of their recruiting apparatus not an easy thing to do georgia getting jordan james a reminder of that and by the way the dogs who have been red hot i mean just absolutely smoking hot on the recruiting trail this continues here with james go back and watch his film look at the stats you know nearly 10 yards a carry huge numbers that he put up uh last season there in a high school in the state of tennessee big get for the class of 2022 and for georgia as the saying goes they may not be done yet by a long shot with more big names to come here in the very near future my name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, podcast platforms, the Apple Player, Google Player, worldfamousdognation.com. We post the show. I do have to apologize yesterday. This was not an intentional act on my part, but when I did post the show at dognation.com yesterday, 
uh, all the preview of what's going to be in the show. One thing that was not there was the actual show itself. If you go back and check that post now, you can find the podcast. Uh, thanks to those who pointed it out to me, and my apologies for what was an uh, unforced error on my part yesterday. But you can listen to the show by clicking into the post on most days there at dognation.com when I have my act together and do it correctly as I should. Of course, many of you listen right there through SoundCloud there as well. The point is, no matter how you get to us, really appreciate you being here. And I want to just give a sincere thank you as well to our friends at Engineered Solutions of George for making it all possible. When it comes to two big issues that homeowners deal with, foundation issues, waterproofing issues, ESOG is ready to step up to the plate for you and do great work for you. They're proud partners of UGA, which means they're fun to do business with. It's always nice to support a company that supports UGA. They've been great friends of ours here at Dog Nation for a long time here on Dog Nation Daily, and I'm eternally grateful for those of you that want to support those that have supported our program. And I can also, with great confidence, recommend them for your issues because they are a solutions-based company. That means that you got a small problem. They'll just give you a simple fix for that small problem. But when it comes to those cracks that show up in your foundation, the water that creeps in when it rains, those at times can be more substantial fixes. And another reason to trust ESOG, they have two full-time engineers on staff, really smart people doing really good work. So reach out to them. Give them a call. Simply dial 678-ESOG-NOW. That is 678-ESOG-NOW, and that'll get you you in touch with Engineered Solutions of George. All right, we're going to do Connor Riley here in just a little bit. Obviously, Connor's going to have a lot to say about the recent run of success for UGA recruiting. Connor was in the room the other day when five-star athlete Malachi Starks made his Georgia pledge and following closely along with Jalen Walker on Sunday and now Jordan James there as well. So we'll do all of that with Connor. He also has a really good piece up this morning at dognation.com. Uh, kind of what we've learned from spring practice thus far. So Connor will give us a lot of that here coming up over the course of the uh, next few minutes. But before we get that, I, I want to talk about the Georgia offense here for a moment because we have talked about this a lot lately. But I thought that uh, Georgia tight end John Fitzpatrick, when he met with the reporters of the day, said something really interesting. He was kind of asked about the role the tight ends, the wide receivers, those pass-catching targets going to play for Georgia this year, how they're going to kind of come together. And it was certainly interesting as we go around the doghouse here that you know he's saying these things you know kind of prior to knowing you know or at least we weren't aware yet of what was happening with George Pickens, but uh, you know he's kind of talking about these things, saying these things, and what he said certainly sounds like music to the ears of Georgia fans who hope that Georgia can, as we've been saying on this show now for a number of days, can utilize these great crop of pass catchers, even in the absence of George Pickens with his injury, can utilize all this to the tune of the offensive success that the Bamas, and the LSUs, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, those very best programs in college football the last couple of years have been able to do. Obviously, big-time years from pass catchers, a big part of that. And certainly John Fitzpatrick, who could play a role in all of that, he certainly seems to be keenly aware of this. This is what he said. We're just excited, and we're, we're eager, and we're hungry. We all have a bunch of experience, I feel like, and we just want to use that experience. And we don't want to be, you know, sitting there watching when it comes to January. We want to we want to be playing in those games. Yeah, obviously, that's exactly what Georgia fans want too: playing in the biggest games. And as I've written, as I've talked about, as I said before, the the pathway towards doing that, playing in the biggest games and having success once you get there, it would seem to be fueled and powered by a high-powered offense, a, a a dominant offense that scores the 40-plus points a game. And obviously, there's a lot of tension in a conversation like this because in addition to Georgia's and let's just face it, last couple of years, you'd have to describe it as inability to do that. Simultaneous to Georgia's struggles in that regard, you have seen 
you know, arch nemesis type programs, you know, the kinds of teams that Georgia fans hate, like Alabama and others who have seemingly made scoring points look so easy. And so I certainly have great respect for the people who are charged with fixing this at Georgia, how frustrating it must be to, you know, have to have this narrative kind of thrown back up in your face over and over again. And with that, all that being said, I think it's also fair to point out the ways in which Nick Saban, the Alabama coach, who clearly has overseen an incredible offensive overhaul out of Alabama these last few years, how it is that he seems to be going out of his way to do as much as he possibly can to remind folks just how much the Alabama's offense has changed and maybe by comparison kind of causing folks to think about what hasn't happened yet at a place like Georgia. We've always said, listen, everything that Nick Saban says is for a reason. It's intentional. When he goes and speaks to the to the media, he's trying to send a message to somebody, his own players or whomever else, but there's always a careful calculation around every word that Saban uses. So with that in mind, and on the theme here of offensive overhauls, what needs to happen at Georgia, what has happened other places, there's a video that's been passed around the internet over the course of the last week or so, and the honest truth is, I'm not exactly sure what the original you know genesis of all this was i think it's like a coaching clinic type thing you know not not say been speaking with reporters necessarily but it's certainly been used by a lot of media types of Saban being as open and honest and kind of wide-ranging as you're ever going to hear him in any kind of comments that he delivers talking about the way in which and this is not the first time he said it but it may be the most uh emphatic way in which he stated the ways in which that his offensive philosophy what he used to believe about football is just not the way the sport is anymore. And when you hear Saban say things like this, it's easy to think about, you know, Fitzpatrick and all those other Georgia players working really hard to join Alabama in what is undeniably an offensive revolution. If you haven't heard Nick Saban on this, if you've missed this on the internet, this is what he has said as of late that's gotten a lot of attention. The game is different now. People score fast. I grew up with the idea that you play good defense, you run the ball, you control vertical field position on special teams, and you're going to win. Whoever rushes the ball the most for the most yards is going to win the game. You're not going to win anything now doing that right? because, A, the way the spread is, the way the rules are to run RPOs, the way the rules are that you can block downfield and throw the ball behind the last scrimmage. I mean, those rules have changed college football. Right? And no huddle fastball has changed college football. So I changed my philosophy about five or six years ago. And well, it was more than that. When Lane came here, we said we got to outscore him. So as I said before, I I believe that everything that Saban says is for a purpose. I believe statements like that are for a purpose there as well. And I do think he wants to draw a contrast between his program that has evolved completely offensively and programs, in this case, unfortunately, like Georgia, that haven't quite done that yet. And what he's kind of creating, at least in, in the sense of George, is what a salesperson would call a double bind. Like a good salesperson knows how to like sort of throw a double bind out there. Hey, would you like to meet Tuesday at two, Thursday at four? Either choice you make. You're meeting with this salesperson, and that's just what good salespeople know how to do. This is kind of Saban's own version of that double bind. If you're Kirby Smart, you either have to admit that, yes, we're trying to follow in the footsteps that Alabama has already been down, which kind of reaffirms another narrative that seems to exist about you know Kirby Smart in relationship to Alabama, or you have to say, no, we don't believe Nick Saban is true, that we are capable of doing things the way that we've done it and not being exactly the way that Alabama has been, which is also kind of a double bind that favors Saban because – 
frankly, it's difficult to argue that anything that Saban says there is incorrect when you see the way in which prolific offenses have just sort of taken over and dominated the sport. So Saban's words there are, are a problem, I would say, for programs like Georgia, but I don't think it changes the overall you know, the imperative nature of figuring out a way to match exactly what Nick Saban describes because of the, you know, the the way in which RPOs are kind of not officiated or officiated, however you want to say that, because of all of that, you might as well just sort of get with it. You might as well just sort of join everybody else in these 42 point per game offensive performances and outscore your opponent as a way of trying to figure out a way to uh, go out there and win championships. It's a very interesting statement from uh, a coach like Nick Saban, and obviously it adds emphasis to whatever may be going on around Georgia spring practice right now as Georgia through its offensive coordinator hire Todd Munkin going to his second year through its firmly entrenched starting a quarterback JT Daniels and in spite of an injury to one of its best players wide receiver George Pickens Georgia trying to figure out a way to do exactly what Nick Saban describes there uh, interesting stuff really coming in from a couple of fronts there around the SEC that is around the doghouse before I bring on Connor Riley let me give you a quick shout out to my friends who uh, tune in to watch us on YouTube each and every day and for those of you who uh, have made the decision to become a Dog Nation YouTube subscriber, such a great way for you to stay up to date on everything happening around Dog Nation to go deep get those notifications sent to you when we go live to watch all the you just heard john fitzpatrick a moment ago all the press conference stuff coming out of uga you can get all of that by becoming a subscriber to the dog nation youtube page including all the great shows like the one you're watching right now dog nation daily presented by esog thanks for subscribing to us on on youtube thanks for sending those notifications for when, when we go live so we can show up right there on your device we really appreciate that all right later on before we're done one of the big commitments from georgia as a of late the four-star linebacker Jalen Walker said something very interesting Sunday during his ceremony that caught some Georgia fans off guard I'll share that with you before we're done here today and explain why that's maybe a good thing for the dogs we will talk about that but for now on everything related to UGA recruiting what's happening with spring practice and everything else in between let's do a Kroger fresh take with our buddy Connor Riley From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So uh, Kroger Fresh Take here with Connor Riley. We'll get into a moment about all the things going on at Georgia Spring Practice and the attempt to build this offense, make it as powerful as what programs like Alabama have been now without um, – you know, without the uh, you know the wide receiver like George Pickens to be a weapon at George's disposal, so we'll do a lot of that here coming up uh, in just a, a couple of minutes. Before that, though, Connor, something that's undecidedly good news: the run of success that Georgia has had in recruiting as of late. Five-star name like Malachi Starks going back to Thursday. Jalen Walker, a linebacker, on Sunday. Jordan James, the running back in the fold yesterday. James may be the most surprising of the group in the fact that it wasn't a scheduled commitment announcement uh this 2022 class for the dogs is really heating up and all these guys are all seemingly saying the right things about even adding more big name prospects and boy just even prior to the opening up of visits which is going to happen later on this summer there is a lot of energy around this 2022 class for georgia right now yeah and i think the thing that has to encourage you the most right now is where these two last commitments Jordan James yesterday, Jalen Walker on Sunday have come from. Mm -hmm. They're out of state guys. And, you know, over the course of the pandemic, Georgia made, I think, a very concerted effort to recruit more in state because they could not rely and lean on going out of state and in convincing players to come play at Georgia without really getting a chance to show it off. And so the fact that you're still able to go and beat a Clemson to land a Jalen Walker, to go beat a, a Tennessee and land a Jordan James, I think says a lot about how this staff is still able to recruit and 
I, to me, it's going to be an interesting test. Once visits do open up, what sort of route does Georgia go? Do they continue to sort of build those in-state relationships because they have built those over Zoom and really over the past year? Or do they askew back to what they were doing in the 2019 and 2020 cycles where they were relying more on out-of-state talent, where sometimes it's a little bit better, but you do have to go out and win more contested recruitments? Yeah, in the case of Walker and Starks, what I'll also add to that there as well is, you know, listening to those guys talk about Georgia, why they chose Georgia, even in Walker's case, really not having those face-to-face conversations with the coaches, what we typically think of as kind of the finishing touch on a lot of these recruitments. Man, you don't really find better spokesmen for Georgia than what both these guys kind of provide. So in addition to getting – I'm including those two because I don't know as much about James, mm-hmm. admittedly. But when it comes to you know the way these guys are talking about Georgia, the things they're saying, not only are you getting great players in the field, at least potentially, but you're getting strong additions to the Georgia locker room there as well and the kind of guys that you could very easily envision – contributing positively to team chemistry in the mm-hmm. seasons to come. Yeah, and Starks and Walker already have, I think, a really strong relationship. And I don't know if Jeff dropped this on his appearance on Friday, but Malachi told us, or told him more specifically, that the guy that he was really talking to and really working on on Thursday of who might be next, who is he going after, was Jalen Walker. And they had already formed a really strong bond there. And so for the two of them to come together and get get them back-to-back, and beat out Clemson, a team that Georgia's going to continue to recruit more and more against in the years to come, especially as they start playing on the field. They, they play this season and then 2024 when Starks and Walker will be juniors. That's going to be really important and really interesting to see how Georgia, specifically against Clemson, who, other than Georgia, no program has recruited the metro Atlanta area better. It'll be interesting to see how Georgia and Clemson continue to go head-to-head in recruiting in the days and months to come. What do you think about Jordan James as a player? The stats, obviously, are eye-popping. The highlight films to go with it, you would obviously expect good highlights Mm -hmm. for a guy who put up those kinds of stats. Oakland, as I mentioned during the top of the show, is a really a a, a, pretty long-standing, successful program there in that part of Central Tennessee. What do you think of James as a player? Well, I think we have to trust Del McGee and his evaluation skills at this point because Sure, he is not rated as say a James uh, a James Cook, Zamir White, Kendall yeah. Milton, you know, a number one seventy nine overall prospect. Kenny McIntosh was in that similar rating zone. Dejon Edwards was actually ranked a little bit lower than that. And those guys both came in and proved to be very capable and uh, SEC level running backs. And I think James can absolutely be that same. I do think that Georgia is going to take try and take two running backs. Obviously, Branson Robinson, yeah. the big name to know now. But it, it does make things a little bit easier going forward and at least a little more comfort- comforting knowing that you have a guy like Jordan James who's already such a proven product and someone who had multiple SEC-level offers. I mean, listen, I have a lot of respect for the audience. So because of that, I want to be as candid as I possibly can. In the case of McIntosh and Edwards both, they both turned out to, when I saw them play at Georgia, mm. be way better than I assumed they would be. And that's not disrespectful to Kenny, nor is it disrespectful to Dejan. It's just that there is a idea you have in your mind mm. of what a player rated at this level is supposed to be, especially at a time in which Georgia's recruiting, you know, recruiting prospects with like double digit numbers mm-hmm. next to their name or in some cases single digit numbers next to their name you know someone who's kind of in the top 200 is a little bit different type of thing for Georgia but Kenny McIntosh is a splendid athlete yeah. I, I thought he was going to be kind of a bruiser goal line type running back that's not what he is at all he's mm-hmm. much better athletically than I realized he was and Dejon Edwards in kind of some mop-up duty admittedly but still on the field last year against SEC competition was toting the rock very mm-hmm. well so I mean I, I guess at this point in time I do just trust what Del McGee if Del McGee wants to bring a guy in my assumption is the guy he wants to bring in must be a Georgia running back yeah I mean we, I, we all know Georgia wanted and had a commitment from John Emery Jr. in that 2019 cycle but but 
I, I think looking at their careers right now, I think Kenny's been the better running back, and it's it interesting just ha- happened to work out circumstantially with how that worked out there. But again, I, I think you know you just have to trust Del McGee and his evaluations at this point. Kendall Milton could have been a could have gone anywhere. Alabama, Ohio State, LSU. He chose Georgia. Georgia went out for him. Zach Evans. Georgia did technically win that recruitment, but we don't need to go into why and sure. how that ended. And, and to get a guy like Edwards after that blowed up so spectacularly, I think shows just the all around ability that Del McGee has as a recruiter and identifier of talent. But it is fair. I mean, if you're just going to keep it real and have mm-hmm. honest talk here, it is really fair to point out that. Of the high-profile running back misses for Georgia, five stars who got away, Zach Evans, Trey Sanders, John Emery Jr., Georgia hasn't really lost face by not signing any of those guys yet. Mm -hmm. Listen, Trey may be a good player. He's just been hurt. I think that John Emery Jr. is still going to be a pretty good player for LSU. He showed some flashes a little bit last season. And honestly, I really don't know how second is doing for worth. I haven't followed that as well as maybe I, I could have or should have. But he hasn't done well enough for me to hear much about it. Yeah. Is the point here? But the other, but the, the overall larger point is the Evans, Sanders, Emery misses. There hasn't been much of a reason to really view those as misses based on what those guys have done in college as of yet. Right, and obviously, I, I think the other name we have to mention there is Tank Bigsby. Yeah, who that's a good point. Georgia chose Georgia chose to prioritize Zach Evans there, and that is why Bigsby is ultimately ending up at Auburn. But. You know, Kendall Milton is the most beloved running back and maybe even one of the best, most beloved players on this team right now. And I think there are a lot of people interested and exciting to see what he does going forward. And, you know, Milton Bixby, again, Georgia is still very well set up. So long as Del McGee is still the running backs coach in Georgia, Georgia is going to be just fine in both running back recruiting and running back production. But this doesn't matter. And Mm -hmm. there's stuff that does matter we need to talk about. But I I do want to um, just check your police work there just for a little bit. Georgia did not deprioritize Bigsby because of Milton, right? Milton said he wanted right. to play with Bigsby. Correct. They deprioritized uh, Bigsby be, for, for Zach, Evans. E- Zach yes. Evans. Now, if Tank Bigsby goes on to have a great career at Auburn, that is a decision that's fair to second yeah. guess on Georgia's part at that point. Yeah, certainly understandable. And it's not, again, you can't, I, I don't think the comparison is between Milton and Bigsby. I think right. it is more between Evans yeah. and Bigsby. And, and obviously, when Georgia was recruiting Evans, we had sort of known. You know, this is sort of who he was, and they, I don't know if troubled recruitment is the right word, but high-profile recruitment, a lot of drama in there. Georgia sort of knew what it was getting into in there, and for it to end up the way that it did shouldn't have been all that surprising there. And just last thing, and I'll move on, obviously – I was the conductor on the Zach Evans hype train. I mean, I'll certainly admit that. But I've also said a million times is like I would have been happy with Tank Bigsby there as well. Yeah. And so if you could have had him, then may- right, maybe you should have taken him. But but the point is, the running yeah. backs that Georgia has signed uh, certainly look to be uh, very good. Yeah, absolutely. This is still going to be a position of strength in twenty 2020, twenty in twenty twenty one, I should say, and probably even twenty twenty two. Even as I think Zamir White and James Cook move on after this season. So let me transition to what's going on with spring practice. You obviously uh, have a really good piece of it. DogNation.com. It's really very thorough and kind of breaking down a lot of this. And, you know, the thing we can't seem to get away from on this show is that need to upgrade offensively. Nick Saban almost taunting Georgia by describing mm-hmm. the massive, uh, you know, overhaul of his mindset about what needs to be done offensively around college football. And for Georgia, the task of doing that now harder because of the George Pickens injury. Not impossible, but certainly harder. Mm-hmm. You and I haven't talked about the Pickens injury yet on this show, but. You know, in light of that injury, in light of what Georgia needs to do, you know, what's the landscape around Georgia spring practice right now because of all of that? So, years ago, uh, famous book. Do you remember why Billy Bean sort of did the Moneyball thing, created, the, relied on analytics, and sort of transitioned his franchise and really all of sports since then into going about 
functioning in that manner. Do you know why he did all that? Because he was a failed prospect? <laughs> Not exactly, but that's, yeah. That's part of the story. <laughs> that's part of the Moneyball story. I, I like that there. His original goal was to try and replace the production of Jason Giambi, yeah. Johnny right. Damon, and Jason Guys, Andrew the A's Hellman. could not afford because to Because the A's could not afford right. to re-sign them. Georgia right now cannot afford another George Pickens. There just is not another player like right. them. In this, in this circumstance, he is the Jason Giambi. There is no true replacement for Jason Giambi. But what I think Todd Munkin, who is the Billy Bean in this situation, is now going to go about doing is replacing the production that Pickens would have brought to this team, which if you want to use the last four games where JT Daniels was a quarterback and put that over a 12-game season, it's roughly 1,200 yards, 70 catches, and 12 touchdowns. So 12 touchdowns is probably the thing that's going to be the hardest to replace. And it, while you know I love Moneyball and the story, and it's a fantastic book, Part of the problem with that is every time the A's get to the postseason, they lose simply because yeah. the math works out over the course of a 162-game season, but when you need to win one big game, sometimes it just really helps that you have those players that can make a difference in a one-at-bat scenario, and Pickens ultimately is that. So I, the thing I'm going to be interested in is how does Todd Munkin now go about dividing up Pickens's production, potential production, and where does that go to? Do the yards go more to Jermaine Burton? Do the touchdowns go to Darnell Washington a little bit more? I think that's the thing that we're going to see in here over these next couple of weeks, and I'm really interested to see how that goes about going. So I think the money ball comparison here is a really good one because there is a lot of precedent in college football for clearly wide receivers being very important, but not every great wide receiver was also a great recruit. Right. You know, I wrote about this and talked about this a little bit. Go back to 2019, the last full year of – uh, you know, college football when everybody was playing the full complement of games, you know, of the Power Five teams that averaged forty or more points per game, only Clemson from twenty nineteen had a former five star as their leading receiver from that year. You know, there were you know Alabama had Jerry Judy as their number two receiver, LSU had Terrace Marshall as their number three receiver, but programs like Ohio State and Oklahoma did not have former five-star receivers among their top three. Uh, but Oklahoma did have a walk-on among its top four. And I think Ohio State was led by a former three-star receiver uh, there in that 2019 season. So five-star receivers are clearly important. Mm -hmm. George Pickens has proven that over the course of his two years at Georgia. But there are other ways to skin a cat, as my you know, you know family would have said when I was growing up. You can have five-star level production from non-five-star level prospects if your quarterback is good enough and if your offensive coordinator is locked in as well as he possibly right. can Right, and, okay, Jermaine Burton was not a five-star receiver. It's clear he was still one of the best wide receiver right. prospects. And if you look at the traditional freshman wide receiver production of top 100 recruits, he blew that out of the water with what he did a season ago. I, I think Arian Smith is another guy who, it's clear he's got talent and can make an impact. And if there's anyone that benefits now from the extra targets that go around, I figure it might might mostly be him just simply yeah. because you can maybe see him from a guy who we were trying to do the math. Maybe you get him to 25 catches over the course of the year. Now there's a potential for that to be even higher now that you don't have Pickens. And really, I, I think as you saw in that Peach Bowl game against Cincinnati, he's going to be the guy who's your true downfield threat. So I, I, I think with all of this, Georgia has, still has a ton of talent in both that wide receiver room and in that tight end room. I think they're going to be, over the course of the full 12-game season, I think they're going to be just fine on offense. It's the, it, the ultimate question is, in that big game, say, against Alabama in SEC Championship game, that first game of the year against Clemson, 
if we're willing, a college football playoff here. You know, the last three national title games, the winning team has all had a wide receiver that had at least 150 yards receiving in that game. Yeah, That's the kind of player that George Pickens was. And that's not to say that Jermaine or Arian Smith, whoever, Kyrus Jackson, can't become that player. It's just right now, Georgia, I don't think, has that player on their team. So if you go back to, like, say, 2019, when Lawrence Cager got hurt and he was hurt for part of that Mm -hmm. season, even with Pickens and Blaylock having very good freshman years, there just wasn't enough talent to make up for Cagers. Yeah. Even if Cagers healthy, Georgia still wasn't great at the receiver position. But once he got hurt and was spent part of that season hurt, you know the the whole idea of next man up. There just was no next no. man. There wasn't a, enough quality receiver play to fill that void. It remains to be seen what's going to happen for Georgia in twenty twenty one. But the scenario on paper is far different. Mm-hmm. Georgia does have the measurable talent where it could possibly overcome the loss of George Pickens. Doesn't mean they will. And it certainly doesn't mean that it's easy, mm. but compared to any other year in the Kirby Smart era, and frankly, probably any other year for Georgia, going back a number of years in the past, this team at least has enough measurable talent at receiver where the idea of replacing what George Pickens provides is at least a statistical possibility. Yeah, and I think Cortez Hankton here deserves some bit of credit for helping get this wide receiver room to where, you know, especially over these last two, three cycles, that 19 one where they signed Pickens and Blaylock, and then the one after where they signed the five wide receivers that they did of just turning that wide receiver around so quickly to where, you know, it's not like Alabama was or maybe even LSU or Clemson, but it is clear if you're stacking up wide receiver rooms in the country, there aren't very many you would prefer to have over the, even this current one without Pickens for the potential of the entire 2021 season. I want to ask about the other side of the ball here in just a moment. Before that, let me remind you, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with our buddy Connor Riley right now. And obviously if the folks at Kroger are getting ready for Easter, man, let me tell you something. I'm so excited about the big day this Sunday. Such a different landscape for this year's Easter compared to what it was a year ago. People able to kind of get together a little bit more in a healthy and safe way. The vaccines are obviously rolling out. Some folks able to attend church in person where maybe they weren't able to do that last Easter, whatever you're planning on doing for the big day. The point is, is that Kroger's got you covered for all of it, whether it's, you know, getting stocked up for those things that go in the Easter basket, the candy, the eggs, everything else, or the food for the big meal, the recipe ideas you may need to cover all of that. Kroger can just give you all kinds of input on all of that. It's Kroger.com slash fresh. You can find out about your uh, local store or go to Kroger.com slash Easter and you can find out specifically about the things going on right there in your area at the Kroger in your neighborhood getting ready for Easter Kroger.com slash Easter make sure you check that out today so Connor you used a phrase in your story that I thought was really interesting the idea of emerging names on defense boy I love emerging names it's always a lot of fun Uh, give us an idea right now who you think those emerging names might be so the two that to me have so far jumped out the most in terms of what we know or, or at least what the expectations are from Kirby Smart are names that We've known and talked about it specifically right. on this show for a while, largely just because of the recruiting prowess. But it's Trayvon Walker and Nicobe Dean. I, you're someone that's pointed out this a million times. When you're listening to Kirby Smart speak, it's the guys that he brings up unprompted that right. you really need to pay attention to. It's not so much who the re- who the reporters like myself are asking about. It is more who does he bring up without you know who are the guys that he wants to talk about. I thought when he was asked about Nolan Smith and he goes and he goes off on a tangent talking about Trayvon mm-hmm. Walker. That's your bells and whistles. Hey, oh yeah, they're expecting a lot out of Trayvon Walker, specifically in a way that traditionally was never expected out of Malik Herring going forward. And mm-hmm. then the other guy that has really caught my attention is Nicobe Dean because. 
because he's been brought up by multiple guys already of someone who's really emerged as a leader and we know what he can do on the football field. And the fact that he's getting this talked about and raved about when he can't even physically go through practice right now says a lot to me about those two guys and how important they're going to be to this defense in 2021. So two things here really quick. Uh, You know, folks, time passes, people forget, but the stuff that people liked about Jalen Walker on Sunday – is exactly what N'Kobe Dean was yep. like as a recruit. And the stuff that people liked about uh, uh, Malachi Starks going back to Thursday, that's what N'Kobe Dean was there too. One of those guys that just seemed to have, at least based on the way that he's you know talking about all of his process, just seemed to have a really good head on his shoulder and you sort of immediately saw him as a good locker room guy as well as a good football player. That's what Dean was advertised as coming in. And I think he's been adver- I think he has been as advertised throughout his couple of years at Georgia. The, the idea that he's leading from the sidelines, I would say to you and me both, is not a surprise at all. No. No, it is not. And he's, again, you know, the next Roquan Smith comparisons are always going to sort of follow him. Just it's given, tough. It's an unfair thing. Th- that's what he walked On into. On a small scale level, yeah. that's the next Jordan thing that has yeah. plagued so many basketball players. Yeah. In our little small world of UGA football, constantly tabbing some linebacker with like the next Roquan label is really unfair for those guys. And he has done about as incredible of a job as you can of living up to that those yeah. expectations as, as can be expected at this point. You know, from a statistical standpoint, he is right on track with where Roquan is. Now, I'm not saying he's going to go become Roquan and I don't even know like if a linebacker anymore is capable of having the impact that Roquan Smith did in 2017 just given offenses in college football have changed so much in the last three seasons but I think he's a crucial piece of this defense and really a crucial all-around leader for this program and you know Teams take after their leaders, and if this team takes after N'Kobe Dean, I think that's a really good thing for this Georgia football program. And see, the thing about Trayvon Walker, I'll say, is this, is that people love to make college football and just football in general sound really complicated. They like to use football language, A-gaps and five techniques, and people just like to make it really complicated. But there is an element of the sport that's always going to be really simple, that if you had the freedom to just walk around you know, the Georgia football facility and you just saw the players, you saw Trayvon Walker – Obviously, he's one of the best players. He stands up big, tall posture, you know, big guy, confident. Clearly, he's one of the best players. Anybody who would look at him Mm. would look at him and say, that guy obviously looks like he'd be very good at football. And even after a couple of years of people kind of getting used to him and he's not the, you know – you know the, the the novelty that he once was when he arrived on campus as a five-star recruit this is still one of the Georgia's most valuable players and maybe from a statistical standpoint it's backed up this year but mm-hmm. if you just saw him walking around campus it would be obvious to your eyes that he is a, a, an incredibly valuable football player he's first team all bus first team no guys doubt. you want walking no off doubt. the bus to intimidate the other team and again you go back to our first real introduction to Trayvon Walker it wasn't I mean if you wanted to the larger fan base that doesn't pay attention it was probably that game ending sack against Auburn but to the the watchers of Dog Nation Daily, seeing a man that size run down on kickoff is something I had not seen in a long time, and I have a feeling it's not something we're going to see regularly going forward. He is just a a truly special athlete. And again, Malik Herring was a great player with what he was asked to do in Georgia. But there are just not many college football prospects across the past decade that can do or have the potential to do what Trayvon Walker does because of his size, speed, and strength. He is truly... I think a special player, and I really hope that we get to see a chance that we get to see him unleash this season and wreck games in a way we haven't really seen from him. I think that's yet. all really true. I want to squeeze one more thing before uh, we're done. You name check Tyke Smith in your piece there as mm-hmm. well. Transfer defensive back from West Virginia. This is a guy that's got real credentials. Mm-hmm. A couple different outlets had him as an All American. He was a semifinals for the Thorpe Award, and just given the social media chatter by Georgia players around him and some of the reporting that's out there there as well. 
it seems like this is a little more real than maybe the last time we kind of yeah. jumped on a, a West Virginia defensive back. I mean, clearly we're going to take debate on a lot of this kind of stuff, uh, just kind of what we do. But in this particular case, there there may actually be something to this this time around. Yeah, more so, more differently than, say, Darion Kendrick from Clemson or even Drayshawn Miller, also from West Virginia. You had Zamir White responding to Tyke's original I'm leaving West Virginia post. You had Lewis Seen retweet it. So I – well, yes, Tyke doesn't necessarily, I think, fill all the needs in Georgia's secondary right now because he's much more of a safety or more specifically in the Georgia defense, I think, a star. Uh, not, you know, a, 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 phys- a metaphysical star, but a literal, I think he's going to play that hybrid defensive back position. But when you have a player of that talent and that caliber and allows you to move some things around, maybe you move a Chris Smith to corner so you can play Smith there at safety as well. I think just adding a really talented player to this secondary, Smith certainly fits that. He has the obvious connection with new defensive backs coach Jamila Dye. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And again, there could be a more talented defensive back to enter the transfer portal in another three weeks, and we'll pay attention to that and eat it up like uh, catnip. But it, this is one where the connections and the on-field play sort of match what Georgia is really looking for. Yeah, here. I think it's really fun to uh, follow that. Connor, I know you'll be all over it. There's good Georgia spring practice coverage still to come this week at dognation.com. I look forward to reading from you, reading that from you here over the course of the next couple of days. And, of course, thanks for being here as part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia Today. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, uh, really good stuff from Connor Riley. And by the way, check out his uh, piece there at uh, dognation.com. Really all kinds of good stuff from uh, Connor. He'll be on video tonight there as well. So uh, a bunch from him. See that there, dognation.com and on the Dog Nation uh, video channels, YouTube included for all of that. There is a lot we want to do before we're done. Interesting stuff from Jalen Walker I want to get to that kind of started a little bit of a conversation amongst Georgia fans in our comment sections when we were on video on Sunday. We'll finish with that before we're done. Let me rock and roll through through a bunch of stuff with the SEC through before we get there. So uh, Michael Bratton on Twitter links to a guy named Jake Wimberly who gives you some college football over under season win totals from something called the hourglass I have no idea what this is but I'm a sucker for over unders so I will give you a a few of these here for a moment Um, Oklahoma the highest total in the country at least according to this for the upcoming season at 11 and a half yet Ohio State at 11 Georgia 10 and a half which is about what I thought that was they join Notre Dame Clemson Alabama USC all at that 10 and a half number you have to give Clemson you know a little lower nod this year because of the fact they do have the regular season game against Georgia the interesting thing about these is when you actually see these kind of come out from an official betting house is that you have what's known as juice in other words it's a little bit more expensive to bet one side than the other and in addition to the the season win total you actually get a a, a better prediction about what other um what some of these betting houses think about teams by saying what's it more expensive to do predict them to win more than their season win total predict them to win less for instance at georgia 10 and a half the juice will almost certainly be on the under in other words that they're 10 and a half but more likely to have 10 wins than than 11 if you're following me on that so that'll be a, another thing to kind of see next highest sec teams are texas a&m at nine and a half maybe no surprise but how about lsu at nine and a half now this is one of the things i always say is that people talk about all the attrition out of the LSU program and all the problems that it has, but the betting community, folks out in Las Vegas, places like that, they just never run from LSU. They are always respected by the betting houses. They were power rated as a top 10 team a year ago, deep into the season after they'd lost several games because 
that's just kind of the respect that exists there. I mean, other than Alabama, Orgeron as a head coach at LSU has a very good record against the spread, against the SEC, against ranked opponents, the kinds of games that matter. So interesting to see LSU as high up the food chain as they are there, ahead, for instance, of a school like Florida, who only comes in at nine on that season win total. So pretty interesting stuff. These are the early stages of all this. We'll get more of that. Georgia at 10.5, about what I thought they would be. Alabama also at 10.5, not 11, which they've been before. All that based on kind of who you have to play, the toughness of the SEC West. Pretty interesting stuff all the way around. Let me spend a brief minute on this. Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, writing about a controversy we told you about last week involving Lincoln Riley, Chad Morris's son, the quarterback who wants to go to TCU, and Lincoln Riley, who's kind of typically thought of as one of the more forward-thinking coaches in college football, kind of more falling in line with the traditionalists and attempting to block Morris's immediate eligibility at TCU because he's not in favor of intra-conference transfers. And what Dodd says at CBS is you can get on board with this now or get on board with this eventually, but there's not going to be any intra-conference transfers at all anymore in some time in the near future. And that may be true, but I do want to use this as an opportunity. We talked about the Morris thing last week. I'll use the Dodd column here today as a reminder that that's not the way that I think things should be. And obviously, I'm going to give you my opinions. That's what I do for a living. As I've said before, that if you want to have a sport, you have to have rules. If you don't have any rules, you don't have a sport. That the absence of rules or the unwillingness to adhere to those rules threatens the stability of the sport. And I think that the people that argue for these kinds of changes, hey, let's just have as many transfers as you want, transfer in your conference, everything else. I think they think they're doing this on behalf of the players. In other words, I believe they think their intentions are are good. But sometimes good intentions lead to bad results, and I think this is a perfect example of this. You know, I saw this other story. It was Matt Hayes writing Saturday Down South, and this is a completely unrelated topic, but it ties into this and in that he was quoting Mel Tucker back when, you know, Tucker was at Colorado about what makes Nick Saban great. And in the midst of doing this, he quotes Tucker as telling his players, hey, if you don't want to get with the program and do whatever it is that I want you to do, in this case, be comfortable being uncomfortable, whatever it was, then Hayes quotes Tucker as saying, the transfer portal is right over there. And that's the thing you got to understand about this, is that I think some people are trying to design the transfer portal to be a tool to be used by players. But if you're not careful, it's going to become a weapon that gets used against players. And that's just the nature of the sport because the roster spots continue to be valuable. No matter how much, you know, players are sort of led to believe that they are more valuable than the roster spot they fill, that's not the way the actual economy around college sports, both football and basketball for the most part, that's not the way the actual economy operates. So just be really, really careful about this. Dennis Dodd kind of waving the flag for this radical change that's on the way to the sport. There may not be anyone who can do anything to stop that right now, but don't be so quick to assume this new landscape is going to actually be better for players. We gave you the stat a few weeks ago. About 75% of the players in the transfer portal right now don't have anywhere to transfer to. Just be really, really careful about all these changes you usher into the sport. A couple other things real quick. So um, I saw this. We We made fun of Auburn yesterday for a different reason. I'll make fun of them for a new reason today. So apparently Toomer's Corner, which is the spot there in downtown Auburn, uh, got rolled. That's what they do. They roll it with toilet paper. By the way, quick aside here. There was some talk last week about Mike Bobo saying that Auburn was the ultimate college town, insinuating it was better than Athens. 
I would suggest that for any college town, if one of your great traditions involves toilet paper, you cannot be a better college town than Athens, Georgia. Just on spec alone, that doesn't quite work out. But nonetheless, they rolled Tumor's Corner because Alabama lost in the NCAA tournament. Now listen, I'm all for spiteful rooting interest, especially when your team's not involved. In this case, uh, Georgia obviously far removed in the NCAA tournament. My entire NCAA tournament viewing experience has essentially been rooting against teams I don't like. So I'm certainly understanding of Auburn on that. And by the way, Auburn was in the Final Four a couple of years ago. So it's not like they have zero credibility on this topic. But you can't be rolling Tumor's Corner because Alabama lost in the game you didn't even play in. To me, that's just a little too try-hard. That's taking things just a little too seriously. I'm all for enjoying Alabama losing. I'm all for high-fiving a buddy in a bar or wherever it is that people are allowed to be together these days. But the rolling of Tumor's Corner for this, for me, seems to be taking that just a little bit too far. By the way, one more NCAA tournament note. Arkansas is now done and out. And we said this yesterday. It certainly seems true that after all of the you know, the talk about upsets and what's going to happen and the wildness of the NCAA tournament as we get towards the end here with a couple more Final Four tickets still yet to be punched. Boy, we really do seem to be very, very chalky in who's actually making their way to the Final Four, which maybe makes for a better viewing experience all the way around, but certainly is a reversal of the narrative that dominated this tournament's early days we will make that your sec through and here on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia i want to go back to the commitment of jalen walker for a moment on sunday and what walker said from the podium when he announced for georgia was a little bit different than a very good interview that Jeff Sintel did with him on the Dog Nation video channels that by now hopefully you have seen. If not, you need to go see it. In that particular interview that Jeff did with Walker, Walker raved about Glenn Schumann and the impact of all the George coaches, and it was a little more typical of what you're used to hearing these kind of recruits say. But when Walker was at the podium after announcing Georgia there at his you know ceremony in Salisbury, North Carolina, the thing that he said in the immediate aftermath was a little different than that. Now, this audio is not great because it was sort of captured, you know, room noise, things like that. But I want you to see if you notice what a lot of our folks on the Dog Nation video channels, comment sections, noticed when Walker made his announcement. This is Jalen Walker from Sunday. Georgia, I feel like that is the best of that staff. Coach Muschamp, Coach Smart, Coach Landon, Coach Schumann, you know, all great coaches. You know, it's always a good thing to have a piece of head coach. You know, I've had her stories of him always helping around in practice. You know, having a hands-on coach is always the best fit for me. Uh, just Georgia overall, uh, LDU, in my opinion, you know, always brings out the best linebackers and development and seal. But, you know, Georgia just fits me. So as I said before, that's not great audio quality, but the thing a lot of Georgia fans noticed is, hey, when bragging about the Georgia staff and kind of listing off those names, he said Will Muschamp, the analyst, before he said anybody else. Now, as I said before, in the interview that Jeff Sintel did, his answer was a little bit more typical, raving about Glenn Schumann, Dan Lanning in particular, Kirby Smart, but giving a lot of love, place of prominence for Will Muschamp's name when he announced uh, from his ceremony there in Salisbury, North Carolina on Sunday. And it kind of got me thinking about the impact that Muschamp is already making at Georgia, maybe as a recruiter there in the eyes of Jalen Walker, but also in the eyes of guys currently on the Georgia team. Channing Tindall, really good linebacker who's obviously from the Columbia, South Carolina area, a place that Muschamp once called home, also is kind of raving as of late about how he feels about having Muschamp there at Georgia. So in light of what Jalen Walker said on Sunday, what Channing Tindall said last week, also pretty interesting here. I didn't even know Coach Muschamp. The first day Coach Muschamp was here, I was 
watching and some extra film of my coach over now. There was like, there's a surprise upstairs over now. So I look up when I see coach, I was like, wait, what, like, what are you doing here? So we had a nice little conversation. It's good to have someone from my hometown here and whatnot too. So like with coach smart and coach most champ, I feel like I have a piece of home here as well. Really makes me feel more comfortable. So interesting to hear Channing Tindall say that. Hey, peace of home for Tindall, who hails from Columbia, to see a former Columbia resident there in Athens. And, you know, listen, I think what Walker told Jeff is probably a little more, you know, representative of how his true recruitment went with Glenn Schumann, play, you know, play, playing a huge role, Dan Lanning, Kirby Smart. But it is interesting to hear Walker thinking about Muschamp and his presence in this Georgia roster. I've always been a big believer that these kinds of analysts matter. Some of them are famous, some of them are less so, but the power programs that can fill out their staffs with these kinds of guys are better for doing so. And I think you may already see some examples of that when it comes to George and Will Muschamp. Pretty interesting stuff there. By the way, we talked yesterday on the show and it continued today, the red hot nature of UGA recruiting. Maybe no surprise to you, that's the theme of our Gator Hater roll call and our golden shoe here today. Buddy Mad Dog steps up to claim another prize here with a really cool scene of Kirby Smart laying waste to all of his competition there. Good job by Mad Dog Golden Shoe winner. By the way, speaking of the lousy stinking Gators, 214 days from right now. Georgia goes back to uh, Jacksonville, gets a win, we think, against the Florida Gators and some revenge. We'll see tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Of course, R.S. Andrews can take care of if your air conditioning, your heating, your plumbing, electric needs. You can find them online at rsandrews.com. If your water heater goes out, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. Let me quickly restate an apology that I gave earlier in the show for those of you that obviously, in this case, are my podcast audience. So yesterday when I posted the show at dognation.com, I did not paste the podcast into the post. I certainly did not do that intentionally. I just... I had, had every intention of doing that, and so somehow it just didn't get done. So I apologize for that. Of course, if you enjoy the podcast, you know you can always become a subscriber on the Apple Player or you know whichever podcast player you prefer. But we obviously love delivering the show to you right here through the pages of DogNation.com as well for those of you that prefer that. So my apologies for messing that up uh, yesterday, but we certainly appreciate you checking in here to see us each and every day. And, of course, if you want to participate in the R.S. Andrews podcast cooldown, you can do that by either reaching out to me on Twitter at DogNationDaily or, as I said before, dropping a comment in the comment section right there at uh, DogNation.com. So just really appreciate that all the way around. By the way, uh, at uh, our buddy Steve Schifini, uh checking in on Twitter to say that yesterday during the show, I think that did this on video. I don't think I did this in the podcast version. He says that I insinuated that Yankee fans are also Cowboy and Alabama fans. He said, thank you for making me throw up in my mouth. Steve is a big Yankees fan. And I, what I talked about yesterday was that for the Alabama fans who were disappointed that their team lost in the NCAA tournament that they had, a chance to now fall back and cheer for their other favorite teams, such as the Lakers and the Yankees and the Cowboys and all the other teams that Alabama fans seem to like. And so some folks had some fun with that on video, and Steve weighed in as a Yankees fan to say he didn't appreciate the comparison there on that. But pretty good stuff from him all the way around uh, on Twitter about that. As far as our comment section goes, this is kind of cool. So OzDog reaches out to me in the comment section at dognation.com to say, Hey, BA, greetings from the Sunshine Coast in Australia which is really, really good stuff there. Uh, he says, my wife and I moved here a few years ago from the Atlanta area. 
I am uh, really enjoying the extended podcast. You are my daily escape from the craziness of reality. Thanks for a great show and giving me a nice taste of home. Ozdog, that is an incredibly nice thing to hear. And how much fun must it be to live in that beautiful part of Australia where if I'm doing the hemispheric math correctly, they are getting ready for late fall in Australia. Is that correct? Is it late fall in Australia moving towards a winter there? Uh, what a cool thing. I've never been to the Southern Hemisphere. I, I'd love to go at some point in time. Um, my uh, wife has friends in New Zealand. Maybe we'll get a chance to check that uh, you know, place out at some point in time. But obviously, I've heard so many great things about Australia. What a beautiful place. And uh, congratulations on you guys for getting a chance to move out there, over there. And it means so much to me that you, that you would check in here uh, with us here in the good old state of Georgia. So I appreciate that and uh, just hope you're having a great time out there. And uh, just a really nice compliment, too. I don't take that kind of stuff lightly. You know, when we first you know started the show many, many years ago now, and back then, you know, I didn't really know a lot about streaming video. I certainly did not know that streaming video was going to become what it has become in terms of uh, it's just a really easy platform to get in front of people, right? I mean, a lot of the stuff that exists on streaming video doesn't exist because it needs to be on video. It exists because the video platforms are great distribution tools, or at least they in some cases used to be, but um, but they're just really good distribution tools. So when we first started the show, all I could really think about was just, you know, being a podcast, and that's what I wanted to be. I'd loved podcasts for a long time, and you know, the thing that I really wanted to create for people was that daily relationship. As Ozdog describes here, escaping from the craziness of reality. We all have crazy realities. And some of it's really good, and you know, busy families, things like that. Some of it's not so good. The news, apart from what's going on in sports sometimes, can be pretty hard to tolerate. It can be really frustrating. And to be an escape from that, to create a relationship with the audience, even though I don't get a chance to meet as many of you face-to-face as I'd like, I love the way in which I can speak to you. There's technology that allows you to react back to me, and we get to know each other through the magic of technology. That's the kind of thing that was my vision for all of this when it started. And the fact that it's actually really kind of worked out that way, that we really have been able to forge these relationships, create a community around Dog Nation, that is the thing in life I'm the most proud of, you know. You know, no matter how sh- how big the show gets in terms of you know ad dollars and 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 viewers and listeners and all that kind of stuff, that does matter. And that's how you know I pay my bills and support my family. The thing that makes me the most proud is the deep level of the connection for the people who listen to the show. And to have Ozdog reach out and say that, I just think that's a really cool thing all the way around. So to all of you who are a part of what we do here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by. Engineered Solutions of Georgia today. I really, really appreciate that. And for those of you that even stick around a little longer, shows a little longer now than it used to be, and I'm clearly respectful of your time, at least I hope that comes across that I want to be respectful of your time. But for those of you who choose to kind of be a part of all this, I certainly really appreciate that. So hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. Share your comments there or in the comments section at dognation.com. And I'll see you back here again tomorrow for our R.S. Andrews Cooldown as a part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.